Amen. It's good to be here with you. It's good to hear your voices. Um, I want to say something to you that happened that I thought was kind of funny. So I thought I'd tell you. Um, last week, when we were in here in the morning, several people made the comment that, oh, the light is just so bright in here. And they said that to me. And I said, yeah, so that way it'll be a little easier if the sermon gets boring. And they, and they know who they are, said to me, exactly. (laughs) And I said, I was joking. (laughs) And they said, I was not. (laughs) Anyway. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We are walking our way through what's traditionally been called... The Lord's Prayer, we could call it the Disciples' Prayer. It is a prayer that our Lord taught his disciples. It holds a special place in our Christian tradition. It's rich, and it's deep, and it has been a joy to walk through it with you. Today, we come to what's traditionally called the Sixth Petition, where we ask the Lord not to lead us into temptation. And as is our custom, we're going to pair this reading with a reading from the opposite testament. In this case, it will be from the book of Deuteronomy. Then I'll read our sermon text, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. And uh, just for fun, I'm also going to read a section from 1 Peter. So let's listen closely and carefully to God's word this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then from Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Instead, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And finally, from 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment and in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that you would now do for us the thing that only you can do, Lord, the thing that we must have you do, Lord, the very thing you've promised to do, and that is by the power of your spirit to shine light on these words that are in your word. Would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? Would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls? And this morning, would you lead them to use them to lead us, Lord, to great hope in our Lord Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So on January 1st, 1937, um, a famous theologian was laying in bed. And he wasn't laying in bed because he was taking a nap. He was laying in bed and it was his deathbed. He was a few mere hours from meeting his Lord face to face. And though I have never experienced it, it seems that when folks are on their deathbed, there's a way of things becoming clarified. So this famous theologian is is laying in bed. In a mere matter of hours, he will meet his Lord. And he wanted to send one final message. It wouldn't be a theological treatise. It wouldn't be a commentary of any kind. Instead, he wanted to send a simple telegram in the final hours of his life to his closest friend. And the telegram had 13 words. It said, I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Jesus. No hope without it. I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Jesus. No hope without it. What did he mean? Well, first, in these 13 words are a beautiful articulation of a particular piece of the gospel. Namely, that Christ, our Lord Jesus, did not just die for us, though he certainly did this. He also lived for us, that our Lord Jesus doesn't just erase sins, he also gives to us his obedience, 
See, God is high and exalted and holy, and we are sinners. And Jesus' work is more than just to forgive us of our sin, to sort of break us even. But a precious part of his work is he also gives to us his own life of obedience to reconcile us to God. Secondly, I think those words, I'm so thankful for the act of obedience of Jesus, no hope without it, becomes like a key that I think unlocks the mystery of this sixth petition. See, we have to acknowledge that this sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, is mysterious, and we will talk about that. But as we talk about it, there's two things I want you to know. Um, First of all, I want you to know that when we walk in here on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whenever we're together, I want you to know that I think about this reality. I think about the the reality that though all of you look kind of good and and well-dressed, some of you even had your church bath last night. You actually are here, and if we could see what's unseen, you're actually here bruised and burned and weary and wounded from the constant attack of our enemy. Think about it every time I look at you. And I see it in you, I see it in your eyes because I see it in me. Second thing I want you to know this morning, it's the main thing I want you to hear. At this sixth petition, what we're going to see in this sixth petition is that in Jesus, we have victory over the power of sin. To put another way, our Lord in Christ guards and keeps and watches us through any and every kind of temptation. The promises of God that are available to you once we peer through this sixth petition are unspeakably wonderful. And my goal this morning is as best I can to just simply show you the hope. And the hope is not an idea. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. So let's take a look together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. First of all, let's talk a bit more about how this is a mysterious request. So far, we've, we've heard the following in the prayer. We've heard a desire that we would treasure God's name above all. That's how it would be your name. We've heard and and we've prayed the, the request that God would bring about his kingdom, meaning that he would make all things new and right. Our third request is that his will would be done. The idea that we would trust him to act, to do what is good and right in every circumstance and to block anything from opposing his good purposes for us. The fourth request is that he would provide for us that our daily Bread, which is provision for everything that we need. Last week, that we would receive his forgiveness and be the kind of people who pass it out to others. 
And now in this sixth position, we're asking him not to do a certain thing. And it's just a little interesting. We're asking him to not lead us into temptation. So what's going on here? Because to phrase it like that, don't lead us into temptation, would imply the fact that he's planning to do that. But we've got to ask him not to. So, so the question is, is, is God planning to cause our downfall? And the very clear answer to that is no. And I'm going to tell you that on the basis of a few things that I think can help us understand what's going on here. First of all, this whole prayer is set up under the whole kind of uh, paradigm that our Lord is a kind father. And kind fathers do not root for their children's downfall. In fact, they do opposite of that. Every second of every day, I am thinking actively about my children and their good and their flourishing all the time. I'm literally thinking about it all the time. I'm rooting for their good and flourishing all the time. I am not plotting their downfall. Sometimes my children think I'm plotting their downfall. I'm not. Your heavenly father isn't either. <clears throat> I mean, the book of James tells us clearly that we, don't, we shouldn't say God tempted me. Because God himself is not tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. It gets a little philosophical here, but God can't even conjure up evil desires in his heart. So there's no way he can be doing that in yours. So what's happening here? Let's talk about it on a surface level. On a surface level, I think we just see father-child relationship here. Y'all, sometimes um, my children will ask me to not do a thing that I'm obviously not going to do. Like, for example, um, my daughter Millie was standing up on something high, and she wanted to jump off and have me catch her. And right before she goes, she's like, Dad, don't drop me. And I said, I won't. See, in that moment, she's actually not expressing doubt that I would drop her. In fact, she's expressing trust. She's saying, hey, I know you're not going to drop me, so therefore I'm jumping. Right? Right? See, it's good and right to tell our Lord what we're thinking. I'm such a big believer that if you think it, you must pray it. That goes for anything, by the way. Or I can think of when one of my boys said to me one time, hey, Dad, don't forget to pick us up from school. Well, I'm, I'm not going to forget to pick them up from school, except for I've done that before. <laughs> and the whole point here is that human fathers fail. It's one of the harder things to get our minds around when we pray this entire prayer that's contingent on God being a good and kind and gracious father. Because a lot of us have not grown up with a father like that. But what I want you to know is that you have one. So let's, on the surface level, it's parent-child relationship. 
It's childlike faith to ask the Lord to do something he's not planning on doing. And childlike faith is precious in the sight of God. And in fact, the only kind of faith there really is. But let's think a little deeper. I mean, literally on my notes, there's an arrow going down. In this prayer, lead us not into temptation. We're not saying to God, to our Lord, don't let us be tempted. We're not saying... Keep us out of every kind of situation where we could be tempted. We're not saying that. Because the truth is, life in a broken world, east of Eden, on the other side of the fall, is is nothing but opportunities to be tempted all the time. I was thinking about it this week when I was walking around my neighborhood. This is sort of the metaphor that, that came up. Walking around my neighborhood, there's, there's potholes. There's very steep hills. It's a strenuous walk. And there are certain houses on each side. And as I walked that walk, I could go into any of those houses. And to make it a metaphor, in our sojourn, in our walk, in our pilgrimage through a broken and fallen world, there are potholes and there are hills. And it's a strenuous walk. And there are houses along the way that we could go into. We could go into the house of harsh words that burn up our relationships. We could go into the house of sexual lust and temptation. We could go into the house of envy and malice and strife. We could go into the house of self-centeredness. But we, we can't avoid walking down the road that has those sort of opportunities for temptation. I mean, I mean, so much so that even our Lord Jesus was not spared of this. A couple chapters earlier, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness in order that he be tempted. So if, if, if the Father does not even lead the Lord Jesus in such a way that he's never tempted, or never in circumstances when he can fall to sin, then, then there's no reason to think that we will not have to walk down roads where those opportunities are there. But let's think about this a little bit deeper. In my notes, I have an arrow that goes down again. The word here for don't, or lead us not into temptation, this word for temptation occurs lots of times throughout the Bible. It occurs in the Old Testament, it occurs in the New Testament, in the New Testament specifically. Sometimes it's temptation, sometimes it's trial, sometimes it's testing, because it's all the same word. In other words, and this is a hard thing to get used to as we walk east of Eden, but the same event, the same circumstance, The same event and the same circumstance can either be a temptation or it can be a test. And it can be true in the same event. So, for example, a particular thing happens or a particular event occurs, a particular circumstance comes into being. And our enemy, the devil, the tempter, 
would want to use it to still kill and destroy you. But the same event, the same circumstance that has unfolded, the same thing can be, a, can be something that our Lord in his kindness and mercy desires to use to strengthen you, to confirm you, to establish you, to provide for you, to give you the opportunity to prove what you really know to be true, to, to take that thing and to convert it and to change it creatively in such a way that it's an opportunity to be matured and to be completed, to be refined, to build resilience. See, just like you walk down the road and you can go into the house of harsh words, you can also go into the house of taming of the tongue. Just like you can walk down into the house of envy, you can walk down into the house of love. And it's only our God who's creative enough who can take these same exact circumstances and they become opportunities, tests, so we can take hold of his promises. It's only our God who can take these things and give them back to us as an opportunity to be blessed by him. I've told you guys this before, but... Um, one of my kids' teachers was talking to us some about the kind of test-taking anxiety that students feel. And they try to encourage students to think of the test not as an opportunity for your failure. There's, the teachers are not rooting for their students' failure. But it's an opportunity to show what you actually know. So what are we praying? What are we praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We're, we're saying something to our God like this. Lord, you see me. You see this. You know this. You know me. And I'm walking in down a dangerous path. And I'm asking you to watch me. Keep me. Give me your strength. Take this moment and convert it into something beautiful and redemptive. That's what we're asking. Our enemy would want to still kill and destroy in this thing. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you to creatively use it. Strengthen me. It is a bold and vulnerable, and I think you know what I mean when I say desperate, desperate kind of prayer. And if we're going to go before our Father and pray such a bold, vulnerable, desperate prayer in the face of darts, accusation, lies, temptations coming at us, from all sides, then it helps us to know how our Lord answers this prayer. As we prepare to celebrate at this table, I want you to hear how I think our Lord answers us when we pray that bold, desperate, vulnerable prayer. 
When I tell you how he answers us, I I really want to ask you to have in your mind right now that thing. Maybe it's a sin that easily entangles you. Maybe it's a way that you just feel the attack of the devil. Maybe it's some other broken thing in your life. But I don't want you to think about this in the kind of hypothetical, but in the actual. Our faith either addresses reality or who cares. So think about that thing. And if you were to say to your Lord Jesus, would you help me, strengthen me, give me perseverance, guard me, protect me, carry me through, here is what our Lord Jesus would say back to you. The first thing he would say back to you, and it is a precious thing to hear from his lips, the first thing he would say back to you is, I know. See, the Bible teaches us that the Lord Jesus, and this is Jesus we're talking about, was tempted and tried in every way that we are, in every way that we are, in every way that we are. That's why he can be for you a sympathetic high priest. This is the book of Hebrews. Able to sympathize with you in all your weaknesses. He would say back to you, I have been in the forge you're referring to. He would say back to you, I have been in the wilderness places facing all the exact temptations. I have been in the attack from the devil where I was tempted, tempted to not treasure God's name. To bring about my own will, not the Father's. And to provide for my needs with my own self-reliance. I have been in the wild places of the devil's assault. He'd tell you, I know. I've lived in a broken body. I've lived under the weight of human pain. I've absorbed it. I've experienced it all. Number one, I know. It's a precious thing to know that Jesus knows. It It is an underrated, unspeakably precious thing to know that Jesus knows. Second thing he would say, and this gets at what the theologian said on the deathbed. The second thing he would say was I know your situation, and I've went through it. I've faced it, but I have obeyed and overcome. Relying on my Father and the power of the Spirit. By the way, the same resources available to you. I have overcome in my active obedience gets to be yours. You can take hold of it. You can lean on it. You can gain strength from it. 
You don't have to say that, click that, do that, because I have it. And my obedience is there to be yours. I think the third thing Jesus might say to you is, and in that temptation, in that wild wilderness place, I overcame and the devil left me until a more opportune time. That's literally what the text tells us, that Jesus endured temptation, overcame temptation. The devil left him to wait for a more opportune time. And that more, more opportune time, I think when you read the gospel stories, is when Jesus was in the garden, sweating drops of blood and of agony. Enduring the test of all tests. And he overcomes once again for us. And he sets his face to go to the cross. And on that cross, I think Jesus would say to you, I have destroyed the works of the devil. I have triumphed over the power of evil and darkness. And I have, in my suffering and in my obedience, I have broken the tempter's power. And my victory is yours. And I don't think he would stop there. I think he would then go on to say, and listen to me, Satan demands to sift you like wheat. This is the words he says to Peter. But I have prayed for you. In the fire of temptation, and you know what I mean, when you get kind of hot in your neck and in your chest because of the, the sheer furnace of temptation, When's the last time you knew at that very moment Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who at this very moment upholds the universe by the word of his power is praying for you because he is. I think the next thing he would say to you is, so take hold of me. I think he'd say to you things like, I won't leave you or forsake you. I think he'd say things to you like, and this Momentary light affliction is storing up a treasure of glory for you beyond all comparison. This is Paul. And I just hope that gives you such deep, deep hope. I pray that that would give you, those truths would give you such deep Strength. See, it is a bold and vulnerable and desperate prayer. The depths of grace and mercy and strength and provision that are found in Jesus are even deeper still. Amen. Let's pray together. Or these things, of course, are easier to talk about from a pulpit. 
than to take hold of in the very real things. So by the power of your spirit, I pray that we would hear your word to us. Lord, we ask that you would lead us not into temptation, but you would strengthen us, establish us, confirm us, mature us, complete us, protect us, watch us, keep us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.